The Lord sent his great messenger Elijah to anoint a prophet to follow him. God chose someone ordinary. Elijah found Elisha, a nobody, plowing his father's field. And what was Elisha's response? He burned his plow and left everything he knew to answer God's call. Elisha, a tale of ridiculous faith. Hey, welcome today to all of you at all of our life churches and those of you in our extended network church family. Uh, we're also very thankful for those joining us from countries all over the world at Church Online. Today, we're starting a brand new four-week message series uh, on the life of the Old Testament prophet named Elisha. We've subtitled it, A Tale of Ridiculous Faith. And I want to say very sincerely that I believe for many of you, the next four weeks will be a defining moment in your relationship with God. I have one goal and one purpose only, and that is to allow the teaching of God's Word to build your faith, to give you a ridiculous amount of faith. Now, if you're a little bit old school, ridiculous is actually good in this sense, right? How many of you notice that there are a lot of words that have opposite meanings? They mean what they mean, and they mean the opposite. Have you noticed that? Bad used to mean bad. Now bad can mean good, right? If it's like bad, it's good. If it's bad, it's bad. Sick is the same thing, right? Sick? Sick is like sick. Like you threw up on me. That's sick. Or if it's really cool, it's sick. Sick is sick. Sick is cool. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I, I just this is how my mind works. Ridiculous is the same way. Ridiculous used to mean like just outlandish in a bad way, but now if the cake is really good, what is it? The cake is ridiculous. Okay. So what I want to do is look at the life of Elisha, and I believe God is going to build some ridiculous in the good sort of way faith in our lives. Let me give you a little bit of context of him. If you've got your mobile devices and you want to go to the Bible app, you can click on live events and you can follow along with the scriptures there or turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, let's talk about who he was, then we'll look at our text, then I'll tell you where we're going in the series, and then we'll dive in. Uh, there was a guy named Elijah. Some people get Elisha confused with Elijah. Elijah was one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, bold, daring, full of faith. Elisha wanted to be like Elijah, and he was bold enough, ridiculous enough to ask for a double portion of Elijah's anointing. And God, in his sovereign will, gave Elisha, who studied under Elijah, a double portion of this anointing, and Elisha actually performed more recorded miracles in Scripture than anyone with the exception of Jesus. What's interesting about this guy is he was very ordinary. He wasn't the son of a priest. He wasn't a monk. He wasn't some kind of like outward spiritual giant. He was an ordinary guy who was living at home with his parents, working on a farm when God called him to do something incredible. The context is he lived during the 9th century B.C. in a time when Israel was divided. Great tension. Many people were worshiping the false god of Baal. And God raised up this ordinary guy and did something extraordinary 
through his life. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 through 21. These are the verses we'll study today. Let's read those, and then we'll break them down. Verse 19 says this. So Elijah, this is the older one, Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen, this is crazy, and he slaughtered them. Gets even more ridiculous. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate it. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Somebody say, that is the beginning of a ridiculous story. That's ridiculous the way you said that, <laughs> but I'll work with you. All right, so let me tell you where we're going in this series. Uh, next week, we're going to see something that really speaks to me. So many of us, because our faith is small, we're not willing to dream big. At the same time, we're not willing to dream big, so many aren't willing to start Small. We're going to look at a story where Elisha asks some people to dig some ditches in a valley long before there's any sign of water. God is going to expand your faith to think big, and at the same time, I believe you'll be willing to start small. In the third week, we're going to look at a widow who was desperate. Any of you who are going through difficult times right now and you wonder, how am I going to make it? This poor lady was about to lose her two sons, and all she had to her name was a little jar of oil. All she could see was what she didn't have, and God, through the prophet Elisha, is going to show her that she had everything that she needed to do everything God wanted her to do. This will build your faith. In the fourth week, we're going to see a crazy miracle. For those of you that at one time were more passionate about the things of God, you were more on fire and closer to God, but you lost your spiritual edge. We're going to look at a miracle where an axe head fell into a body of water. The prophet threw a stick, and the axe head floated again. We'll look at that and apply it symbolically to our lives, and I believe God is going to help you get your spiritual edge back. Today, I want to show you a ridiculous commitment of faith from the prophet Elisha, and we'll look at these verses again, and then we'll break them down and apply them to our lives specifically. Let's look at verse 19 again, the middle of the verse, where it tells us what he was doing. Scripture says that Elisha was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. What we'll notice is he was doing the same job he had been doing for a long time. He was working on his parents' farm, and he was driving the yoke of oxen. Now, uh, I've got a good friend. If you've been here for a while, you've heard him preach. Uh, pastor Stephen Furtick is the pastor of one of America's great churches, Elevation Church, and he wrote a book called Greater on the Life of Elisha. If you haven't read that book, I totally recommend this book. I am biased because I love the Furtick family like my own, but it's really a faith-building book. And in it, he points out something I never thought about, and that is 
the monotony of what it would be like to plow behind a yoke of oxen every single day. Think about this. What do you smell? Something that's sick and not in the good kind of way, right? You smell oxen residue, okay? What do you see? What is your scenery every day if you're behind a plow and you're walking behind oxen? What is your scenery? Oxen rears. Don't say anything bad. Oxen rears. Oxen tails. Oxen behinds. In case you're having a hard time visualizing this, I actually gave you something to help you see. That is your scenery, and that is not cool every single day. Now, some of you may feel a little bit like Elijah. You're not looking at oxen rears, but you're doing the same thing day in, day out, and it gets really, really monotonous. You're, you're going to the same job, working with the same people, and you're like, I feel like I'm staring at oxen rears. Do not call your coworkers oxen rears. That is not what I'm saying, but that's the way you feel. Some of you, you may be in sales. And it's just day in, day out. You make your quota, and then it starts over again. And you make your quota, and it starts over again. And you're like, this is so monotonous. All I ever do is try to live up to some standard. And then it starts over again. Some of you, you might be students, and you think, what do I do? I study, and I work to pay the bills. I study some more, and I work to pay the bills. I study, and I work. Oxen rears everywhere. Those of you that are parents, what do you see all day long? <laughs> Diapers, laundry and dishes. Diaper, laundry and dishes. And you start to think it's incredibly easy to lose your passion when all you see is oxen rears, right? All day long. And this is where Elisha was. But I want you to notice he was being faithful in the task at hand. And I believe with all my heart that God loves to reward those who are faithful in the little things. When you're faithful with a little, he can trust you with much. And Elisha, even though it may not have been his favorite thing to do, even though it could have been incredibly draining physically, emotionally, he was faithful. And in the middle of his faithful daily routine, God sent something new to take him from where he was into a ridiculous place of impact. Verse 19, the end of the verse, says this. Elijah, this was the great man of God that Elisha would have looked up to at the time. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, his cloak would have been uh, kind of like a coat made of either animal skin or fur. This was his covering. And what Elijah did is he took his covering and he put it on Elisha and basically symbolically was saying, that which covered me will now cover you. That which is the mantle on me will now be the mantle on you. That which I was under, now you will be under. You will be my student. I will be your mentor. As God has been working through me, now God is going to work through you. And he put his mantle or he put his covering over Elisha. Now, I want to apply this story to your life and show you two principles of ridiculous commitment. And watch how the ordinary man responds to this extraordinary call. 
Two principles, if you're taking notes. The first one is this. God is going to call him to follow Elijah, and he's not going to know all the details. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. When God calls you to do something, you don't have to understand all the details to obey immediately. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Verse 20, here's what happens. First, Elijah puts the cloak around him. Then in verse 20, Elisha, then what did he do? The Bible says he left his oxen, and then what did he do? The Bible says then he ran after Elijah. He simply said, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will come with you. Notice this. He didn't have to pray about it. Woo! Did a pastor just say that? He didn't have to do a list of pros and cons. Here's the reasons why I should, and here's the reasons why I shouldn't. He didn't have to consult his counselor. All he did was said, God, I believe you're in on this. I don't know the details, but since I believe you're in on this, I will obey immediately. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Now, if I can take a quick rabbit trail down a leadership thought, I want to give this to you because this could apply to some of your life as leaders. Uh, people ask me all the time, Craig, what's your five-year plan for the church? And I love strategic planning. I think it's wise to think ahead. But my answer has changed. In the past, I used to always have a five-year plan. But what I noticed is the world is changing so rapidly, so quickly. There is no way for me to project ahead five years all the divine opportunities God is going to send our way. So I have totally and completely stopped making five-year plans. I honestly don't plan more than 18 months out in advance for the church. Instead of planning for the future, what I do is I plan to respond in the present. I wanna be immediately able to respond to the voice of God, to opportunities that I am not smart enough to predict. Therefore, as a staff, we always wanna have financial margin to seize opportunities that we did not plan for. I wanna have margin in our leadership and margin in our times and margin in our family so we can jump on divine opportunities that we are not smart enough to predict. I don't know how this would speak to you, but I believe with all my heart, if you will get in a posture of spiritual readiness, you can't plan what God might do a year from now, but if you're ready, you can obey immediately, even if you do not understand fully. That's some good teaching. If anybody needs to get into it, you can anytime you want to. I want to be ready to say yes immediately. And here's the way God will lead you. God will rarely give you details. I believe God is often strategically vague in his directions. You want details. And I believe God would look at you often and say, you can't handle the details. If I showed you everything, you wouldn't show up. I'm just showing you the next step. God often will guide even with just one word. I love the power of this. Just 
One word sometimes is all God will give you, and that needs to be enough to go on. In the Old Testament, whenever God was giving Moses directions, you could summarize the directions in one word. Moses, go. Go. Abraham, go. Go. Go to the land, I will show you. Uh, Peter, in the New Testament, uh, Jesus was walking up on water. Peter's like, hey, that's ridiculous. The dude's walking on water. Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come. And Jesus gave him one word. What was the word? He said, come. One word. One word. I don't know the details, but you follow. One word. Come. Some of you, you may hear one word from God. I don't know what it'll be, but in your marriage, maybe you're struggling right now, and you're thinking about cashing it in, and you hear one word, and that word is stay. And you don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. You stay. Some of you, you might have a health situation, and it doesn't look good. Or maybe it's for someone you love, and God gives you one word, trust. And you hang on that word, and you obey. Some of you, you've got an idea, some, some business idea, or a ministry idea, or a book idea. And you're like, how and when, and how are we going to pay for it, and who's going to help, and I don't understand. And God gives you one word, and that word is start. But, 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 God, but God, no, you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Some of you, you've been hanging around the church for a while, and you're kind of sort of starting to grow with God. But you're still observing, and God may give you one word, Commit. Commit. Don't just watch what God is doing. Get involved. Commit. Some of you may be praying about your, your, your future of your family, and you hear the word adopt or foster. You're like, wait, wait, wait. What age and from where? Domestic, international, and I don't, boy, girl, I don't understand. You don't have to understand everything to take the next step. There may be a great single girl right now, and you're dating a jerk, loser punk, and everybody knows it, and God may give you one word, and when he does, you obey. What is God's one word? Break up with the jerk. <laughs> five words, but maybe you need to hear five instead of one, because you are too special to settle for a fixer-upper punk like that. Break up. How, well, who am I going to marry? What if nobody else better comes along? Look, you can't marry a cherry limeade when you're drinking a slush. <laughs> and I don't even know what that means, but it might mean something to you. <laughs> you don't have to understand everything to do what God tells you to do, right? When I uh, just met Amy, I was um, 22 years of age, graduating from college, and I had, uh, was blessed to have two job offers. One was in Houston, um, in management, in kind of the, the field that I'd always wanted to be, and the other one was kind of an embarrassing job that was where I lived in Oklahoma City. And I just, my, one of my life goals was get out of Oklahoma City. I didn't have a love for the city then like I do now. And I just met Amy, and I was praying, God, what do I do, what do I do? Good job, good salary bad job, bad salary, good city, you know, all this stuff, and I heard one word, one word, and that word was stay, stay. Like, but what about, and what about, what about, stay. And on that one word, I stayed, and it's incredibly emotional to me to think about, number one, what God did through that 
one-week-old relationship. I just met Amy. And then he multiplied us into like a family of eight. Wow, that's what God does. <laughs> and that led, that one job led me to the church I went to where they helped me to get into ministry and helped me start. So everything I'm doing at this moment is the result of ridiculous obedience that made no sense whatsoever on one word. Some of you, you're going to hear a word from God, and you're going to be crazy enough, ridiculous enough to say, I don't know all the details, but I don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Thought number one is you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Thought number two, and I love this with all my heart, those God uses the most are the ones who hold on to the least. This is gonna to speak to somebody. Those that, that God uses the most are the ones who hold on to the least. Watch what Elisha does in verse 21. So Elisha uh, left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen, okay? This was, these were the animals that brought about his livelihood. And what does the Bible say he did with the oxen? The Bible says he slaughtered them. He killed them dead. Then what did he do with the plows? Scripture says he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. He made a bonfire out of the plowing equipment and cooked steak for his buddies. Then he set out to follow Elijah and he became his servant. That is ridiculous through and through. Okay. God is calling me to go and follow this prophet, become a prophet, become like him, maybe even become greater than him. So what do I do? I kill the cows and burn the plows. That's what I do. That's ridiculous. Now, you can kind of see kill the cows because symbolically whenever God did something, people would make a sacrifice. Like when the prodigal son came back, the father killed the fatty calves and said, how do you like yours, medium rare, you know, whatever, let's party. And you can kind of see that. But he goes and burns the plows. Okay? It's almost like he's saying, I'm burning plan B. There is no plan B. There's only obey God. There's only plan A. And I just got to tell you, as a, as a dad, if my kids come home with that plan, I'm kind of saying, hey, you know, I'm proud of your faith and everything and go serve God, but let's keep our options open, right? I mean, that's honestly what I'm thinking. Like, let's just, let's use our minds here. There's no reason you have to, you know, go follow God, but keep the cows and plows because you never know when you might need to use them. But what you're going to see in Scripture is, there are often times when some people are so moved by God that they do ridiculous things to follow him. Whenever Jesus encountered uh, Peter for the first time in Luke chapter 5, uh, Peter was having a bad fishing day, and Jesus came up and said, throw the nets on the other side. And Peter's like, you don't know what you're talking about. Jesus said, just do it. And he did it, and he caught so many fish, the nets started to break. And he's like, whoa, who are you? This is amazing. I'm a sinful man. You're the Lord, all this stuff. And Jesus looked at him and said, hey, from now on, you don't have to just catch fish. Now you can fish for people. You can be a fisher of men. 
And Scripture says something that is just as crazy as the burn the plows and kill the cows. The Bible says that the disciples left everything. Okay? We can just read by that and not even think about it. You, you contextualize that to your life. Leave my job. You know, I trained for this. I got a major in college in this. You know, I leave my comfort, leave my family, leave my neighbor, leave my church. They left everything to follow him. There are some of you that God is going to speak to you at some time and give you a plow-burning faith. And, and let me just say and qualify, make sure God is speaking to you. You don't just go in and say, I'm sick of my job, walk in and say, I hate y'all and burn the building down. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about when you know that you know that you know that God is calling you to leave where you are and go where he wants you to go. There are some times when you're so convinced that you just burn the bridge back because you're not turning back, because something has happened in you, and you're never going to be the same. You, you, you can't go back because God is calling you forward. There are some of you, God is going to give you a plow-burning faith, where deep within, you're willing to do whatever it takes to follow God to the next place. I'll give you some stories of, of people that I know that had plow-burning faith. I've got a friend whose dad uh, was very successful in the fast food industry. And so his dad generously went to pass that on to his son. The problem is his son didn't like the fast food business. But his dad said, I can make you rich, and the dad would have been right. But my friend, all he wanted to do was teach junior high and coach boys basketball. And so his dad gave him this business and he tried his best and he was successful, but he was miserable because he wasn't called to make money, he felt called to invest in the next generation. And so he very respectfully went to his dad and said, Dad, I love you, I honor you, you're one of my heroes, but I can't do this anymore. And he in a sense burned the bridge and said, I'm handing all this back. And he left tremendously lucrative career to go and teach junior high and coach boys basketball. And to this day, I don't know a happier married man and a guy more fulfilled doing what he was called to do. He had to burn some plows to leave where he was so he could go to where God wanted him to go. I know a family that is really on fire for God. They're really, really strong Christians, but quite honestly, in the summer, something changes. They are so in love with the lake that we don't see them between early May and early September, and they disappear completely every weekend, and it's all about the lake. And don't hear let anybody hear that I don't like the lake. I like the lake. If you have a lake house and want to take me once or twice a year, I will go with you. <laughs> I like the lake. But it was so severe that this guy's nine-year-old daughter one day said, Daddy, why is it that we love God all year long, but we don't love God in the summer. And when he heard that, he realized what had happened. They love God, but their life said something different, that God goes on hold. They didn't serve anybody in the summer. They didn't make a difference in the summer. They didn't worship in the summer. In the summer, it became all about their enjoyment. And when the dad realized this, he said, I can't have that. And so he burned the plow. He sold the boat, sold the lake house, and this wouldn't be for everybody, but this was for them. So I'm not going to let something send an example to my nine-year-old that God is not important to us all year long. I've got another guy who was, who was struggling again and again, addicted 
uh, to pornography. And he was able to overcome it for a while when he got his computers monitored. And then the mobile phones came out and he got his butt kicked every single day. And we tried to block things and block things. And, and then he'd find a way around and another way around and another way around. And he couldn't seem to get over when there was an open door anywhere, he'd go through that door and look at things that were hurtful to him and his faith. And so we talked about, I said, what do you think you should do? He's like, well, the only thing I can think of to do is get rid of his phone, but you got to have this kind of phone. Don't? And I said, do you? Did, did, did people survive for like, you know, thousands of years without it? And the lights came on. And so symbolically, he decided to get rid of his new um, iPhone and took it and went up to a high place and he crushed it, saying, I'm basically burning this plow, I'm not gonna let it take me down. Now he uses a little flip phone, a little stupid flip phone. He hates his flip phone, but he loves his purity. And I admire a guy who would say, I'm not gonna let something keep me from being the man that God wants me to be. I know a lady that lives in another part of the world who got saved, transformed, made new in Christ through church online totally and completely born into the kingdom of God, her sins forgiven. She started serving on church online. The problem is all of her friends still did drugs. And as hard as she tried to get away, she kept slipping back into the drug lifestyle, slipping back into the drug lifestyle. And so finally, she decided to burn the plow. She moved away, quit her job, moved to another city where there was a life church so she could make brand new friends, get into a Christian community because she said, my faith in God is worth it. And she burned some plows to leave where she was to go where God wanted her to go. Would you look at the person sitting next to you and say, maybe you need to burn a plow. Go ahead and go right now. All of our churches, come on. All of our churches, just lean over. Now, look at the other person on the other side who was your second choice and tell them, maybe you need to burn a plow. I don't know what it would be in your life, but if there is anything keeping you from serving God, you're going to burn that plow. If there is a sin holding you back, you burn that plow. If there is a doubt in your life, you burn that plow. Plow. If there is a relationship holding you back, somebody's going to burn that plow. You're not going to let anything keep you from following God because you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Those that God uses the most are those who hold on to the least. Some of you, you're like a little kid holding on to your blankie. I got my blankie. I want you to know I didn't have a blankie. I had a Bobby the Bear, <laughs> and God is my witness. I took Bobby the Bear to college with me, and I realized it was time to hide Bobby the Bear under my bed if he was going to be in, the, in college with me. I didn't burn Bobby, but I had to leave him behind. Some of you, you're holding on to something that keeps you secure. Never, ever forget this. To step toward your destiny, you have to step away from your security. God is going to speak to somebody and give you the faith to believe that he's calling you to something new. Because you may be looking at oxen rears today, but in your faithfulness, God may call you to do something even greater for his kingdom. You have to have the faith to go, and you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately, because those that God uses the most 
are those who hold on to the least. Father, we pray that you would build faith in this church, God, corporately and individually, that we would recognize it is impossible to please you without faith, and we want to follow you and do what you are leading us to do. As you pray today at all of our network churches, all of our life churches, I'm going to ask you just a couple of questions. The first one I want you to think about really really seriously before you respond, and then I want to pray for you. I want to ask, and think about this, don't just, don't just respond, think about it. I wonder how many of you who are followers of Christ want so much for God to stretch your faith that you are willing to look ridiculous, to leave things that you thought were important your whole life, to not let anything hold you back from living the perfect will of God for your life. All of our different churches, that's really, it's a big, it's a big place to be. And so think about it before you respond. But I wonder how many of you would say, I don't want anything to hold me back. I want ridiculous faith to obey God even when it doesn't make sense. I will trust him. Would you lift up your hands right now, just all, all of our different churches? Hands going up everywhere. Man, thank you for those of you who, who, who want that kind of faith. Ivan would say thank you for those who are honest enough to say I'm not ready for that yet. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work in us. Over the next four weeks, God, as we look at your word of this ridiculous faith, I pray that through the hearing of your word, you would build our faith. God, that we would not just believe in what we can do, but we would believe in who you are, and when you call, we will obey. God, even if it's just one word, I pray, God, for those who have decisions to make. I pray, God, that they would hear from you. I pray, God, that they would search for your will in your word. God, I thank you that so many are in communities with other believers, that they can hear your voice even confirmed from those around. God, I pray we would be, we'd be surrounded by those who would build our faith. And God, when you call us, give us the faith to obey, even when we do not fully understand. As you keep praying today at all of our different churches, uh, there are those of you that uh, right now, even as we're kind of in this time of prayer, you recognize that you don't have that kind of faith. You're not fully following God. You, you would even say, I'm, I'm not a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And if I ask you why, you'd have any number of different reasons. Some of you would say, well, I don't believe that stuff. Some of you would say, well, that's just kind of a legend. Some would say, well, I think there's lots of ways to God. Some would say, well, I'm just, I'm not good enough yet. Some would say, after all I've done, I'm, I, you know, I don't know if I could ever be, be uh, forgiven by God. I want to say very, very clearly that there is a God. He does love you. And if you're feeling drawn toward him today, there's going to be a million reasons why you don't take the step of faith, but there is one reason why you should. And that's because God loved you so much, he sent his son Jesus, who was without sin, to become sin for us, to die and be raised again, so that anyone who calls on his name would be saved. 
The moment you call on the name of Jesus, all your sins will be forgiven. But I'm not ready. Yeah, I don't care. But I've still got questions. I don't care. But I've still got to, I don't care. The time is never going to be just right where you have every, at some point you have to take a step of faith. Scripture says that you're saved not by works, but you're saved by grace through faith, where you simply believe that the perfect work of Jesus was enough. And at that moment, you become a new creation. The old is gone, and behold, everything becomes new. And that is why many of you are here today. By faith, you give your life to Christ. At all of our churches, those of you who say, that's me, I need his grace, I need his forgiveness, I turn toward him, and I trust him. Would you lift your hands high right now? Just lift them up and say, yes, that's my prayer. Right back over there, sir. God bless you. Both of you over here in this section, both of you right over here, praise God for you. Others of you here in this middle section toward the back, right up here, close to me, praise God. Both of you right here, bless you. Wipe those tears away. Right back over there, God bless you. Others of you who say, yes, that's my prayer over here in this section and way back here toward the back. Others of you, church online, you click right below me right here. Bless you. Others today who say yes, that's my cry. Would you pray with those around you who by faith are believing in the Lordship of Jesus? Pray, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. I believe you died for me and you rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I could follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you for new life. Today I give you mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Somebody go crazy, worship God, welcome those born into his family.